be interested to poll the number of people who knew all four people serving on the Lord's Supper this morning. I mean, I do, but like, I, I just think that the, I, I was sitting there and I thought that was a testament to like the, the variety of people we have. This church is growing and it's not, um, we're not putting my sermons out there and people are like, hey, I need to go hear that guy. You know, like no one's doing that with me. Uh, y'all just, uh, I think y'all are a wonderful group of people and we're, we're bringing in um, people from all different backgrounds and um, people who don't, you don't know everybody in this room. That's great. That means there are people that are new and um, some of you have been coming to this church for 120 years. And it's, a, I mean... 74 is Charlie. He's our, he's our longest tenured member at this church. Um, I'm second longest. But he, uh, some of you have been coming here for a long time and you can look around and Charlie can look around and say, I don't know, every, I, who are all these people at this church? And I'm just really thankful for the, for one, that you have given us a shot and that you've stuck with us. Those of you who are new, that's a big deal. Um, to us, we love that. And two, um, that, that you're willing to serve. And that Tracy tells me that people just say yes every week. They just keep saying yes to him. Um, and so now when you say no, you'll feel guilty. But <laughs> I'm just really thankful for those who say, who step up and say yes. And um, who, who are willing to serve. I and mean, we, we do communion every week. And um, we need five different people to, to, to say yes to that. Um, so we're very thankful about that. Um, the other day, uh, it was Wednesday night, and uh, we were getting in the van after Bible class. Macy says, Dad, Daddy, who's the main preacher here? <laughs> and I said, well, sweetie, obviously it's me. No, that's not what I said. I said, well... We don't have like a main minister, but I, I preach most of the time. I said, John's going to preach more and more, but I, I, I do most of the preaching. She goes, how come John does everything? <laughs> I, have no, I have no point to that. I just thought it was wonderful and I needed to share it with you. <laughs> how come John does everything? Because I'm a genius. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yes, that's true. Uh, so <laughs> that threw me off, Justin. Well, um, I remember. I remember the day uh, my, my dad was a, uh, the youth minister whenever I was a kid. He he did get um, a lot of stuff did get thrown his way, and he went to church camps. And he, uh, I, I remember the day I told him that I wanted to be baptized. Um, I'm not sure how old I was. I believe it was the summer before my fifth grade year, which seems young to me, but it was still, that was where it was. Um, my sister had told my mom uh, the same week that she had wanted to be baptized. And we were at church camp and we, my, both my, my parents said, well, let's wait until Saturday um, so that you can do this with your church, your church family and your, your family. We'd invite people and um, they can be witness to it. And 
I, I remember not knowing a whole lot about what I was doing. Um, I knew as much as I knew, and when you know as much as you know, you think you know all that you can know. But I knew as much as I knew. I knew that I didn't want to not be in heaven. And I knew that I wanted to um, be a, like commit my life to Jesus, which is a big deal. But beyond that, I wasn't at that educated about what my baptism meant, what my commitment to Jesus meant. And that's okay, because I've spent the rest of my life figuring out what that meant. Figuring out what, when I decided to follow Jesus, what that means. We sing, we sing that song, it's an older song, I think it might have been like a kid's song, I have decided to follow Jesus, I have decided... No turning back, no turning back. The, the second and third verse of that song is, is more important than the first. Um, the, the world behind me, the cross before me. Though none go with me, I still will follow. But it's that first initial thing that kind of gets the credit. The decision. When did you make the decision? When was the day that you decided to follow Jesus? Well, hopefully the answer to that question is today. Hopefully today is the day I follow Jesus. Not the day I decide to follow Jesus, but the day I decide to be a disciple once more, once again. Because those big moments in your life, the moments where you decide that you're going to get baptized or you decide that you're, you're, today is the day I'm repenting of that, this thing. The day you give your life to Jesus is a big day. But it's not bigger than any of the others. It's a big decision. But it's no greater of a decision than the next day when you have to decide again. Today's the day I follow Jesus. Even if I've got it all together, which I don't think any of us do, but in some like imaginary world where you have it all together, you're going to need a church to help you keep it all together. You're going to need people, you're going to need Jesus to be a disciple of Jesus to help you keep it there. So every day... I have to decide whether I'm a disciple or just a decider. Just someone who decides, I decided to follow Jesus. Good. Let's get on to the second and the third verses of that song, please. Because just your decision, just your, like, I, I am in this. That's not what God calls us too, and it's not fully what God asks of us. And I'm going to say some things I think that popular Christianity might disagree with. I think we are called to follow Jesus. I think within that following of Jesus, we find salvation. But not because of our own, not because we follow Jesus real good, but because Jesus has grace on his followers. But it is the following of Jesus that makes us followers of Jesus. It is in the doing. Not that we're earning. 
But there are, there are things God calls us to that we can't turn back. No turning back. We can't, if we decide to follow Jesus, there is no turning back. That someday you decided to do it. I got baptized on a Saturday because I'm a weirdo. There's a lot of people who get baptized on a Saturday, but not Thursday. It never happens on Thursday. I've just, I got baptized on Saturday. You, get, you, you give your life to Jesus. From that point on, there are going to be times where you want to go back. Maybe, and a lot of it's just that we're lazy. We just want to, I just want to, and we like certain characteristics of ourselves. I say what I want to say. Well, you should stop. <laughs> Don't do that. That's going to get you in trouble at Walmart. We, we, we are to be new people and God is going to make us into new people, but we can't turn back. We've got to keep following. The Hebrew writer is dealing with this exact issue with Christians in the first century. He um, probably Jewish Christians or Christians, at least if they're Gentile Christians, they really know their Old Testament. And he's, he's writing this letter. Uh, it's not Paul, the Hebrew writer. Did I say the Hebrew writer? Did I? No one says, Okay. The writer of Hebrews, probably not Paul, but the writer of Hebrews is, is dealing with some people who have, who used to follow just Jewish law and they now have, are following Jesus, but they're starting to think that they should go back. And the writer does not want this from them. Let's see what he says in Hebrews chapter three. We'll start. In verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Make sure that none of you turn away. Now, notice how he phrases this. This isn't each of you needs to examine yourself and make sure that you don't turn away from the living God. He says, no, see to it. All of you, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He's saying here, this is the church's responsibility to make sure that the church doesn't turn away. That the members of the church, that we don't have unbelieving hearts. Verse 13 says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sins deceitfulness sins deceitfulness it messes with you right it messes with me maybe it just sin messes with me brokenness messes with me the deceitfulness of sin is not hurting anybody deceitfulness of sin is uh, i've always done that's the way i've always done it the deceitfulness of sin will lull you into your normalness and make you broken but we are called to be followers of jesus make sure that we encourage each other as long as it's called today and whatever today is whatever we call today make sure that we don't fall into sin's deceitfulness don't talk yourself into your own holiness 
by pointing out other people's brokenness. That's how sin deceives you. Is he makes you really good at spotting it in others. And horrible at seeing it in yourself. Sin has deceived you. Not when you think sin is okay. But when you think sin is a problem that the world needs to deal with. And if they just listen to you, they could deal with it. You think you've got it all together. When you don't. Verse 14 says, we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. At verse, go on in verse 15. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And then he asks this question. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? Who were the ones, maybe, maybe you don't remember your Old Testament all that well. That's fine. You don't have to. There's not a quiz at the kingdom gates. But if you want to understand your New Testament, there's a good chance you probably need to understand your Old Testament. Remember the Israelites were slaves for 460 years. In Egypt, they were slaves. Generation after generation after generation after generation. And they cried out to God, where, where are you, God? And then Moses had to escape because he killed somebody. And he, had, he went into uh, the, the, wil- the, land, the wilderness and worked the land, lived outside of the city, and happened upon a burning bush. And Moses went up to the burning bush, and God saw that Moses walked up to the burning bush, so he spoke to Moses through the burning bush. He said, hey, I hear the cry. God, I'm paraphrasing here. <laughs> Exodus chapter 3. Hey! He said, hey, um, I hear the cry of the people. And Moses says, we've been crying to you for... To for, for freedom from slavery for generations. What are you going to do about it? And God says, I'm going to send you. And Moses says, I don't know if that's a good idea. We're finding our shackles. And then he frees them. Remember the story? You've probably seen it on television. Charlton Heston. Moses, that lady. A bunch of green-eyed Egyptians. And <laughs> you remember the story. The plagues come down. They march out of Egypt. They just walked out. Then the Israelite army, or the Egypt, Egyptian army comes after them. And the seas part. And they walk across the seas. And they win. They get across. And God comes to them. He's on a mountain. And God says, I am the Lord your God. And they say, you're scary. Can we go back to Egypt? He said, no. And they got out in the wilderness and they got a little thirsty. Got real thirsty. Can we go back to Egypt? We would rather be slaves than be this. Than, than struggle. No. They, they, were, they needed food. They didn't have food. So God dropped manna, which is Hebrew for what is it? That's true. I'm not joking. Dropped manna from the sky. They didn't know what it was, so they named it. What is it? 
And they ate that. And they said, we're getting kind of tired of manna. One of my favorite lines from the Old Testament complainers, the Israelites, when they said, they said, back in Egypt, we had potted meats. Crock pots. That's what it was. We had slow cooked meat. Do you remember slow cooked meat? Jebediah says, yes. They longed for their old chains. He says, who were they that wanted to go back? Who are the ones that rebelled? Who are the ones that went after God led them out of Egypt? After God led them across the Red Sea? After God led, led them to victory after victory? Walked up to Canaan and said, oh, this is this place is a little intense. We can't do it. They had giants. The men are big. Scary. Who were those people? Who were the people who wished they were back in their chains? It was the people who had God who God had freed. Who are who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those that Moses led out of Egypt? Verse 17 says, And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? Here, the Hebrew writer is trying to get some people to stay focused on the cross. Some people who have decided to follow Jesus but have forgotten what God has done for them. If you're just a decider, if you're just somebody who has made a decision, then you're only reacting to this sermon or that sermon. Being thrown here to there by both sermons or teachings or Bible classes or life problems. And just letting whatever can shape you, shape you. If if you're just a decider, you're reacting. But disciples don't just react. They remember intentionally what God has done for them. God says this over and over again throughout the whole Old Testament to the Israelite people. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then once they get into the promised land, they even say into the land of promise. I did something for you. Don't quit on me yet. I don't think that you need to remember that you need to be good. I don't think that that's what's going to make you a good follower of Jesus. I don't think that you need to remember that you need to pray. I don't think you need to remember that you need to study. You need to read your Bible from time to time. I don't think you need to. I don't I don't think you need to remember what you're doing wrong so that you can do it right. I think you need to remember what God has done for you. and Just let it ride. Let let that. Power push you to the end. 
Ride the wave of God's grace to discipleship daily. I can't give you like a trick. We talked a little bit last week about how, how it helps me to study my, read my Bible with just like daily reading. But I can't really give you a trick that's going to work for you about prayer or um, fasting or um, obedience. Like, there's some things that might work for you. There's things that work for me. But the root of all of them is remembering what God has done for you. The Israelites' problem in the end was not forgetting, or not um, failing, it was forgetting. They, they, they forgot what God had done. They forgot what God was capable of. They forgot that they could fall backwards and God would catch them. They forgot that they could step out into the unknown and God would provide solid ground. They forgot what God could do. My kids do this every year at the pool. My, my kids aren't like Andrew's kids. Ella would... Ella jumps into pools she doesn't know how she's going to get out of. They're just brave. It's a learned skill, I believe, but it's also like inherent. Every year I have to talk my kids into jumping off the diving board. I'll say, I, I caught you last year. I can catch you this I can. If you drown, I can save you. They don't know that I don't know how. But I tell them that every year. They forget. They forget that they're taken care of. They forget that they can, that we can be trusted. And so the, the, the Israelites' problem, as well as the hearers of Hebrews, as well as our problem, is that we, kind of like the people who wandered in the wilderness, we forget what God has done. So you've got homework this week. I know if you're in that class over there, you have homework every week. But this one, this one um, I think, would be beneficial as well. Try to remember... What God has done. Not what you need to do. You can get to that later. Not how you need to improve. You can get to that later. Especially not how the world around you needs to improve. That Maybe you shouldn't get to that. But try to remember this week what God has done for you. You don't have to understand it like theologically, but just... At some point during the day, remember what God has done for you. And if you don't know, He set us free from the law of sin, from the rule of death. We are not wounded by our transgressions anymore. And we are not captive to death anymore. Jesus conquered sin on the cross and death when he walked out of the tomb. And so I don't have to be afraid of this world. I don't have to be afraid of my past. I can now follow Jesus as king.
Don't, don't be people who have decided to follow Jesus and then forgotten to do it. But be disciples who not merely reacted to the gospel message, but remembered the gospel message and let it affect your every move. Maybe today you want to decide to be a disciple. That's a big day. And we will, take, we will have you confess before the church that Jesus is king, that he is alive, that he is the son of God. We'll have, and we will baptize you into his death, burial, or resurrection for the remission of your sins. But it doesn't make today a bigger day than tomorrow where you have to decide to be a disciple once more. Don't forget. Remember. Don't just decide. Be a disciple. Wherever you are on that journey, if you need help, if you, if you need us, if you need prayer, whatever you need, please come forward while we stand and sing. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Call